Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Well, thanks again to everyone who's participating and helping us to put on this online worship. We want to welcome everybody who's watching, whether you're part of Bay Ridge Christian Church or from a different congregation, or even if you're not a Christian and you're just kind of trying to examine and think through what it means to be a Christian, we are glad to have you here with us today. And I'm grateful for everybody who's working together and helping us to be able uh, to worship together online. That's everything from the singing, uh, the different prayers, uh, just greeting people. Uh, Stephanie, who's working so hard to put these videos together and to keep them online for us. We're really grateful for all that everyone is doing. Well, today uh, we're going to be ending the little mini-series that we've been doing. We've spent three weeks, uh, this is the third one, looking at the final question in our catechism. It's an old word, but it means a way of just uh, instructing and learning something, to hand something down. And uh, in our catechism, the final question uh, is one that deals with what is our only comfort. And we've been taking three weeks to break this down. And so today we're going to conclude uh, this little uh, mini-series that we've been doing. And we're going to look at uh, our only comfort. Our text today is going to be in the book of Romans. Uh, chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. Every week we've included something out of Romans. Chapter 8 is kind of a chapter you could look at to meditate on this idea of our only comfort in life and death. And so we're going to look at Romans 8, 12 to 17. Uh, it'll be on the screen here for you. I'll be reading from the New International Version. I encourage you to look it up and read along with me. So hear now the word of our sovereign, living, and loving God. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you again a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, the first two weeks in this series, we were looking at the great salvation that God has given to us and how this is our comfort. All the work that God has done for us in Christ coming and living and dying for us and securing salvation for us and God keeping and watching over us throughout our lives and even after we die. Today, we want to take a moment now to think about how we respond to that. And in our catechism, and actually the whole Christian life, it is shaped by what I oftentimes refer to as guilt, grace, and gratitude. The reality that we are guilty, we have sinned, we have fallen short, we continue to do this, but God has responded to us with grace 
And then the response that we have back to all that God has done for us is one of gratitude. This shapes the gospel. It shapes the scripture. Uh, it shapes our entire uh, catechism. We're actually following uh, the Heidelberg Catechism in this structure. And interestingly enough, they began with their first question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? We've taken that question and kind of updated the language, but we've made it the final question in our catechism. They begin with it so that they can structure the whole catechism by guilt, grace, and gratitude. And we end with it to look back with this structure of guilt, grace, and gratitude. We also throw in the word growth to show how we're growing in our Christian life, but all of it flows out of this gratitude. So today we want to ask ourselves, how do we respond to everything God has done? How do we express gratitude to God in our lifestyle? And again, the, the catechism answers this, you know, what is your only comfort? And the part we're looking at today says, therefore... By his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready from this day forth to live unto him. So we're going to focus on that final aspect here and talk about what a life uh, that is full of the comfort of God and has lived out of gratitude to God would look like. Now, we begin uh, by going back and reviewing because since this is Gratitude is, is built upon the grace of God. We want to remind ourselves, and Paul actually does in this text, to remind us of all that God has done. And our comfort is based on the fact that we are saved by God. And not just in general, we are actually saved, we're told over and over again in the Scripture, by the work of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you notice here in the Catechism questions, it's up on your screen right now, notice the, the Father, Son, and Spirit are here. At the beginning, we're told that we belong unto our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In the middle, we're told that nothing can happen to us apart from the will of our Heavenly Father. And finally, today we're looking at that by His Holy Spirit, He is assuring me of eternal life. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Because our salvation is a work of the Holy Trinity. And we've reviewed this uh, last week, and I want to kind of complete it today. But remember last week, we looked at the idea that... As a Christian, you can know you were chosen by God the Father from all eternity past. This is not something he just came up with recently. He has loved and called you from eternity past. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became human to work salvation for you and me. He lived, as the, as the Catechism puts it, he also died, and his blood has fully satisfied for all of our sins. And the Holy Spirit is the one who reaches out and draws us to Christ, who regenerates us, and then who empowers us to live this life of gratitude back towards our God. He applies the work of Christ to us. Now, what this means is then we're the people of God because of the work of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I bring this up so that you know you, you are surrounded. That breastplate prayer uh, of St. Patrick that uh, I used last week as part of our benediction and encourage you to be praying, it begins and ends with an invocation, a crying out, a binding to ourself of the Holy Trinity because we are saved 
by the triune God. But today we're specifically going to look at the Spirit's work and what He does uh, in all of this. And what He's really doing is that the Catechism speaks of Him assuring us. And there are several things that He assures us of. First, He assures us that we are God's children. Now, the way the Catechism puts it is, therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He assures me of eternal life. And you may say, well, that doesn't say that He's assuring me that we're God's children. But, of course, to have eternal life, you have to be the child of God. And so, uh, the, the first part of this assuring me of eternal life is assuring me that I am actually the child of God. He assures me I am part of God's people. And so, notice in our text today, in Romans chapter 8, uh, in verses 15 and 16, we read, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Notice Paul says, You didn't receive the spirit that would lead to fear. We are comforted by the fact the Holy Spirit is working to give comfort to you and to me, no matter what our circumstances are, because he's reminding us, you don't have the spirit of fear. No, on the other hand, what you have is the spirit of sonship. Yeah, literally in the Greek, it is the spirit of adoption as sons, the spirit of adoption that we have been adopted and brought into God's family. We are no longer enemies of God. Rather, we are now the children of God, and the Holy Spirit is here to work and to bring that home to us in our experience. Uh, we're told in verse 16, he testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There is a rich experience in being a Christian. It is not just that we intellectually think something and agree to it. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us to take that which is true, which has been told to us, and bring it into our personal daily experience. And notice how Paul tells us that the Spirit, therefore, causes us to cry out to God, Abba, Father. He's no longer just a judge. He's no longer distant, but rather he is our Father, and the Spirit causes us to cry this out. Now, it's very interesting that Paul says he he makes us cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba is actually an Aramaic word. That's a, a language related to Hebrew, still spoken today. Um, and it was the common everyday language that Jesus grew up hearing. It was the common everyday language in Palestine. And so a child seeing their their male parent would refer to him as Abba, my, my father, my daddy. And Paul here says the Spirit prompts us to cry this out, but why does he use the Aramaic form and then the Greek form of the word when they basically mean the same thing? Abba means Father. Why does he do that? Well, it's because Jesus himself had used the title Abba when he was praying to the Father. And it's recorded for us in Scripture in one of these places where it, it was so important it actually uh, it uses the original language that Jesus had used, in this case, Aramaic. And we're told in Mark 14, 36, that Jesus, on the night that uh, he's been betrayed and he's about to be going to the cross, we read in Mark 14, 36, that Jesus prays, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will 
but what you will. So Jesus uses this word, Abba, to pray to God the Father. And notice here, this is not just any moment. This is Jesus's moment of greatest distress. We're told in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus was praying and it was sweats like great drops of blood were falling off of him, that there was this great distress and angels had to come and minister to him because there was this wrestling as he was accepting the cup from the Father. And in that moment of distress, not in his good moment, not in the easiest moment, but in the greatest moment of distress, he refers to God as his Abba. And so it's entirely appropriate that Paul says, when the Holy Spirit is working in my heart and in your heart to convince us, to help us to experience the fact that God is our Father, he prompts this cry, Abba. Just like Jesus referred to God as Abba, so you and I refer to God as our Abba, our Father. And that not only in good times, but even in the worst times, even in our greatest moments of distress, we can cry out, Abba, Father, just like Jesus had done. What an affirmation that we are the children of God. We can pray the same words that Jesus himself prayed. Let's be clear. Jesus is eternally the Son of God. He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. By his very nature, he is God. He is the Son of God. You and I, that's, that's not the case. We are that by adoption. But here's the great privilege. Because we're adopted does not mean we are in any way less children of God. We have been brought into the family of God, and we have full rights with Jesus Christ, even that we use the same term for God our Father. Friends, this should astound you and me. By the work of the Holy Spirit, you and I are now God's adopted children, and you are given warrant. You are allowed to use the same words that Jesus used to call God our Father. Friends, this is grace. But Paul moves on and says, look, the Spirit's work is not only to assure us that we're God's children, but because we are children, we are now assured that we have eternal life and we have a great inheritance. So notice again in the Catechism, by His Holy Spirit, He assures me of eternal life. So we, we saw that phrase and we said, well, that means that we're first off children, but now He's letting us know that, that our status as God's children uh, means that we do have eternal life and therefore we have a full eternal inheritance. Notice how Paul moves on in verse 17 of our text. He's saying that we cry out, Abba, Father, because the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we're God's children. And then in verse 17, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So Paul says, look, you need to understand if you are God's child, then God's children are God's heirs. And if you are an heir of God, then you must be a co-heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. What Jesus inherits from the Father, 
you inherit from the Father. He has it by natural birthright, so to speak. We do not. We, we were enemies of God. But by the grace of God, by all that we've seen the last two weeks, we are brought into the family of God and the Holy Spirit presses home to your heart and to mine this comforting assurance that we are the heirs of God. Just as we share in Jesus' words, Abba, Father, so too we share in the full inheritance right of God. Everything God has, every promise he makes is ours in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's referring here to an interesting thing that adoption in the ancient world was a two-stage process. One was adopted, and then in a second stage, you were given the full rights of adoption, the full inheritance uh, that was yours in adoption. And Paul says the same thing here, that we are adopted, but there's a, a full inheritance that comes later. But he's saying, so because you're adopted, make no mistake, there is an inheritance that awaits you. The Spirit is assuring us that we have full, eternal inheritance rights. And this leads to um, another point, which is that the Spirit himself is actually the deposit or the down payment. Sometimes the word that is used is the earnest, uh, guaranteeing the full inheritance that will follow. Notice in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul brings this little part of it out. He says, You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Just in passing, notice again the, the work of the entire Trinity. We read in verse 13 that we were included in Christ. We read in verse 14 that we're given the Holy Spirit as this deposit. And then we read in verse 15 that we are God's possession, God the Father. So the whole Trinity once again in our salvation, which is a great assurance to you and me. The whole Trinity has their hands wrapped around us. They've been working from eternity past to eternity future to bring this to us. And we're told specifically that the Spirit himself is a seal and he is a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. If you've ever bought a house, you know what it is that you have to put down earnest money that says, I'm serious about this. And you put that down as a pledge that you're going to pay the whole thing later. Well, Paul says, you know what? God has done that. And the pledge he's put down is giving us the Holy Spirit now. When you and I are experiencing the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is a guarantee. It's a reminder that God is saying, every good thing I have promised you is going to come true. It may seem like things are not right now. The, uh, the circumstances might seem to be contradicting my promises and my words. But my spirit that's working in you, my spirit that is that is driving home my presence, that is bringing home this, this conviction that you're my child, that spirit is my down payment. He is my guarantee. He is the first fruits. He is the guarantee that everything I have promised to you is going to come to pass. Your inheritance is safe and it is guarded. You can see the same idea if you want to study it further in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 
verses 20 to 22, and also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, Paul uses the same idea of the Spirit being our down payment, our earnest, our deposit that comes from God. And so the Holy Spirit, as we're seeing in our catechism and seeing in this text, the Spirit is God's powerful presence through whom we experience all of the great benefits that God has given us in this salvation that we share because of the work of Jesus Christ. He's the powerful presence of God to take that which might seem to be external and to bring it home to our experience in our daily lives. Now, all of this is again kind of looking back at what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. It's very encouraging to us. It's very comforting to us. So, how do we then respond to this? Well, our response is a life devoted to God, a life devoted to God. Notice here in the catechism, the way it ends is, uh, therefore by his Holy Spirit, uh, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready from this day forth to live unto him. So we've looked at this part about the, the Holy Spirit and how he has assured us. Now, what he also does is he brings out this response in us. He makes us sincerely willing and ready to live unto him. The Holy Spirit of God not only brings home the salvation, he elicits from us the proper response. He is forming in us a sincere desire to live for God. You see, the great salvation that God has given to us produces in us a gratitude that makes us want to submit to God, that makes us want to obey God, that wants our lives to overflow with ceaseless praise and obedience and good works to our God that are born out of gratitude. The Holy Spirit is working to sanctify us so that we have a growing desire to obey God and to walk in increasing obedience to God's commands. Let, let me say that again. The, the Spirit is working to sanctify us so that we have a growing desire to obey God and to walk in obedience to God's commands. Notice how Paul puts this in Romans 8, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So it's interesting, this phrase of being led by the Spirit, we oftentimes think of that and, you know, do I buy this or buy that? Do I go call this person to do that? And it's not that there's nothing in the Scripture about that, but the primary way being led by the Spirit is used is led to walk in obedience to God's commands. The Holy Spirit is prompting you and me to obey. And friends, notice Paul is telling us this is the inevitable outcome of us experiencing salvation. If you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, if I have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we now have an obligation to put to death the misdeeds of the body and to walk in obedience to God's commands. And if one does not have this desire 
to put to death those misdeeds of the body. Uh, that person's not been born again by the Spirit of God. This isn't a second stage. It's not something that just, well, you know, a few saints get to this. It is the inevitable outcome of being born again by the Spirit of God. Those who have been redeemed by Christ and regenerated by the Holy Spirit receive a new nature which desires to submit to God and to show gratitude to God by obeying Him and doing good works. I'm actually quoting from question 40 in our catechism. We're not putting it up, but you could go back and you could look at that. Christians, we are not justified by good works, but they are the inevitable overflow of being regenerated. When the Holy Spirit regenerates us and gives us a new nature, our Justification now flows into sanctification. So none of this is talking about our justification, but rather our sanctification. But those who are justified are being sanctified. The Holy Spirit who comes and dwells within us is constantly prompting in us a growing desire to submit to God and to obey God. And so notice in this catechism question we've been looking at for three weeks, this isn't the beginning. This is not the start. This is the end. We begin by reminding ourselves of everything that God has done for us. My comfort, my, my only comfort is that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil. And uh, therefore, uh, because I'm under this, I've got the providence of God the Father watching over me so that we saw that, that nothing can happen to me. Not a hair can fall from my head apart from the will of my Father. And, and the Holy Spirit is assuring me of eternal life. And as we look at all of this that has been done for us, how do we respond? Oh, I respond by being sincerely willing and ready from this day forth to live unto Him. It doesn't become at the beginning, it comes at the end because our gratitude flows out of everything God has done for us. The second part of this is not only in our daily lives do we live in obedience to God's word, following what he calls us to do, not following the culture around us. See, the culture around us tells us to live in greed, to live for number one, but God's word says, no, be satisfied with what you have. Give to others rather than being concerned about receiving. Always put others before yourself. Our culture tells us if you got a sexual desire, just gratify it. The Word of God says no. The only appropriate sexual desire is between a man and a woman who are married to one another. And all other ones, you got to put them to death. Our culture tells us, well, you know, sometimes you, you might have to lie or steal. The scripture says, no, you walk in obedience to God's commands. Our culture says, hey, ignore authority, question authority, reject authority. God's word says, no, you need to submit to the authorities. You need to honor your parents. You need to follow after. In every way, our culture is running contrary to what God's Word says. But the Holy Spirit is in us saying, here's what a life of gratitude looks like. You say no to the misdeeds of the flesh. You put that to death and you walk in humble obedience to God's command. The next thing that the Spirit does, however, is He makes us even willing to suffer 
and die for God if he so wills. He makes us willing to suffer and die for God if he so wills. Notice in verse 17, Paul says, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, God's amazing grace towards you and me that we've looked at over these weeks is pressed home to us by the Holy Spirit so that our gratitude is so great that we're even willing to suffer and die for God. If God would love us like this, then we are willing to follow him no matter what the cost. And notice here, Paul assumes that just as we've shared in the inheritance with Jesus, that we're co-heirs with him, then that means we also share in his sufferings. Paul says there's, there's no dichotomy. You don't have one without the other. If, if you revel in being made an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ, then you also receive the sufferings of Christ. The two go with one another. They are inseparable. And so what this means is our devotion to God is total. Not just when it's popular, not just when it brings us blessings, but rather, come what may, whatever the circumstances, we live for God and we are willing to die for God because we belong to him. So notice in the catechism, we're not going to throw the whole answer up, but notice these phrases at the beginning and the end of the answer of what's my only comfort. Well, that I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And at the end, we say, he makes me sincerely willing and ready from this day forth to live unto him. Notice these phrases, body and soul, every part of me, which, whichever way you want to look at me, whichever part of my being you want to look at, it is devoted to God, both in life and death. No matter the circumstances, when things are going the way I want them to go, when there is suffering, when there is a cost to following Jesus Christ, I am devoted to following him out of gratitude for all he has done for me. He died for me. How could I not be willing to give my life for him? Uh, in the words of Polycarp, the early martyr in the church, my God, Jesus Christ has been so faithful to me through all these years of my life. How could I not be willing to lay my life down for him? See, that is gratitude producing obedience in life and even a willingness to death. Notice it says that we are sincerely willing and ready. This is not a forced obedience. This is a sincere willingness. This is a, a glad obedience to Jesus Christ because of all he has done for us. To sum it up, this is a life that is consumed with a, a desire to know, submit to, and obey God. It's consumed with a desire to know, submit to, and obey God. See, this is the result of knowing God the result of knowing his heart for us, the result of knowing and tasting and experiencing the great salvation he has offered to us. See, this is a comfort in life and death because when we know and when we, by the Holy Spirit, we experience that God is for us, not against us.
that he has saved us and he has secured us from eternity past to eternity future, that he has guaranteed that despite all of our disobedience, we are counted righteous and that everything he has is ours. We are like the prodigal son come home and the father puts the robe on us and the ring and, and kills the fattened calf and throws a party and says, everything I have is yours. This is our status before God. And when we understand this, it prompts in us a glad, willing obedience to our father. So how do we apply this word? Two questions which have been are similar to the questions we've asked every single week. First, I want to remind us uh, th this question, have I experienced this great salvation? All of this only applies if I am in Christ. I'm, I'm heartened and gladdened that uh, what we're hearing and learning in polls apparently is that many people in America, I saw the other day in England, which very few people go to church in England, but since the coronavirus has hit, many, many more people are checking out church online. They're looking because people are asking questions and seeking. And if you are here and you've never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are glad you are here with us. And we want to encourage you to look into the salvation that Jesus Christ is offering you. But understand what I am saying applies to those who are God's children. Contrary to what our culture says everyone out here is not the child of God. We are by nature, the scripture says, children of disobedience, children of wrath, children of the devil, those who are actually in cosmic rebellion against God. But God is offering peace to you through Jesus Christ. He is offering peace to me through Jesus Christ. And don't misunderstand this does not mean we live this way so that we can become God's people. What we're looking at today is we live this way because we have become God's people. Friend, you are invited in purely by grace. Jesus Christ has kept the law of God. He has perfectly obeyed. He suffered and died that he might pay the penalty that is due for your disobedience and mine. And he offers to us, if we will willingly embrace him as Lord, that he forgives all of our sins. He gives us this great salvation. And notice in what we're talking about today, the Holy Spirit comes so that we might experience this. This isn't just a head knowledge. It's not simply a mental agreement with certain facts as if we're memorizing some questions for a high school history test. No, this is an experience because the Holy Spirit comes and brings this home to us. So I ask you, have you experienced this salvation? Have you experienced what it means to have the Holy Spirit testify to you that you are the child of God, that God is your Father, have you been regenerated? See, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and you know, in a famous phrase, that you have to be born again or you have to be born from above. Nicodemus couldn't understand this. Nicodemus thought, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a religious leader. I'm part of the people of Israel. I'm all these things. And Jesus said, none of that matters. You must be born again. So have you been born again? Have you been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? I want to urge you, call out for salvation 
today. You don't have to wait. You don't have to clean yourself up. You come to God as you are. He will clean you up. He will prompt and change you. You come as you are. If you are in that place, I want to encourage you to reach out to us. There's a link showing up right now on the video. You can go to this place on our website and you can actually uh, leave us a note and we will be glad to be in contact with you and help you begin growing in your Christian faith. And even if you're a believer who's not connected to a church and you're looking and you want, reach out and connect with us via that. We would love to talk with you and help you grow in your faith. The other question is for those of us who already are the children of God, I want to ask us, is gratitude shaping my daily life? Is gratitude for all that God has done shaping my daily life? See, a life devoted to God flows from gratitude for what God has done. That's why in our catechism, we started about the, the middle point of the catechism and it moves to gratitude because once we understand the grace that has been shown to us in Jesus Christ, covering all of our guilt, the rest of our Christian life is gratitude and growing in our understanding and our experience of all that God has done for us. And so gratitude shapes my entire Christian life. And so I want to urge and encourage every one of us to let gratitude flow from you this week to produce a life devoted from God. And I'm bringing it up right now because I know many of us are tired right now. You go through the, you know, all the things about the quarantine and the things that are going on, and that can start to creep in. But see, gratitude is not based on my external circumstances. Gratitude is based on what God has done for me in Jesus Christ. And the coronavirus has not changed that. No government decree, no quarantine, no anything can change that. So is my daily life being shaped by gratitude or is it being shaped by something else? Now, let me mention three ways quickly that you can do that. Number one, you meditate deeply on all God has done. If you want gratitude to shape your life, you got to begin by reminding yourself of what God has done. For the third and last time, I'm reminding you, memorize this catechism question and answer. It is so rich. If you will take the time to memorize it, and yes, it will take a couple of weeks of you repeating it many times each day until it's down, and then keep reviewing it. But the more you do that, friend, the more you will realize every day who uh, you are in Jesus Christ, what God has done for you, what this salvation means for you and me. I encourage you to meditate on this question and answer until you can repeat it over and over again. I encourage you to meditate on these scripture texts we've looked at throughout Romans chapter 8, especially Romans 8, 31 to 39. Meditate on it. Think about it. Read on it each day so that it starts sinking in every day all God has done for you. Secondly, after we've meditated deeply on what God has done, we need to speak gratitude to God each day for everything he has done. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We are called to speak gratitude to God each and every day. So I encourage you in your quiet times, as you are reading and praying, 
every day give thanks to God. Everything we have is a gift of God, and we ought to be speaking out gratitude to him. And then finally, let gratitude prompt obedience in your daily life, okay? If there are areas where you're struggling with sin, meditate on what God has done. Meditate on God's heart towards you. Let it remind you that when God gives a command to you and to me, even when it's confusing to us sometimes, it is always for our good. Speak that gratitude to God. And as you're doing that, let that form and shape your conduct each and every day. People who are full of gratitude live differently. And you and I, as the Spirit is working in us, prompting in us uh, gratitude, it will change our daily life. And as we conclude this series, the, the overflow of this is a life that is wholly devoted and abandoned to our God. If you know that God is for you and not against you, if you know that God is watching over and preserving you so that not a hair of your head can fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father, if you know that you have eternal life, it will allow you and it will allow me to go forth and live with abandon before our God because we will realize our God is a mighty fortress. He surrounds us. He watches over us. He is making sure that everything that happens always works to our good. When we know that, friends, we go forth filled with gratitude and we go forth willing to live for him and to die for him, to serve him in every area of life. That's our call. So we're going to join in with our worship team now in singing a mighty fortress is our God. Let it stir you, let it encourage you, and then let it flow forth this week into obedient, abandoned living for God. Amen. Our God is a mighty fortress. Why don't you join with me in prayer, and then we'll have a closing word of benediction. Oh, our Father, what a mighty fortress you are. Lord, we live in a world where everything shakes and crumbles and falls, but you never fail. No matter what may come against us, if God is for us, uh, who can come against us? If God is on our side, what can man do to us? Lord, even the enemy, even our ancient foe is working and railing and seeking to work us woe. Lord, his power is beyond us. It is nothing we could do. But Father, we know that Jesus Christ, the right man, is on our side. You have chosen him and he is the one who stands and fights for us us. And so, Lord, no matter what this world might throw against us, no matter how many demons of hell would arise against us, Lord, we do not fear. Rather, we live in faith and boldness because, Lord, we know that you have willed. Your truth is going to triumph. We are your people and no one can take us away from you. Father, we know 
that Satan may rise up. At times he may, may seem powerful, but Father, we know the end. We have read to the end of the book. Father, the outcome is not in doubt. You are powerful and mighty. You hold all authority. And Father, you rule and reign over him. He will fall. And so, Father, we thank you that your word rules over all things. We thank you, Father, that your word is for us and not against us. We thank you, Lord, that you have given the Holy Spirit and all of his gifts and manifestations to us. We thank you that he is on our side. And therefore, Lord, as we just sang, because of all of this, because of the great salvation you have given us, Lord, we are willing to let goods and kindred go and this mortal life also. Lord, we recognize that the body they may kill but, O oh Lord God, your truth abideth still. Your kingdom is forever. And so, Father, empower us by your Holy Spirit this week and every week to live in faith rather than fear, to give ourselves a way to serve others, knowing that you are watching over us. You have given all things to us. Our place is secure. And therefore, let us live body and soul, life and death, to go forth and to live unto Jesus Christ. We ask that you would do this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Now I encourage you to receive God's word of blessing. It's going to be coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Go forth because you are blessed and be a blessing through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.